Hey, uh, before I get into the Word tonight, uh, we are going to actually read from the Word of God in the Bible, and Pieta is going to come and bring that to us. So would you make her feel really welcome? Um, I'm reading it from Revelation 21, 1 to 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. That's great. Thanks, Pieta. Legend. Okay. How are you doing tonight? Good looking people. Not that I can see you very well with the lights, but I know you're good looking because I've met you before, mostly. Okay. So, we are at the end of a series called Encounter Life, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the rest of the year. We've got some fun stuff planned. We're going to have a, an absolute blast for Father's Day next week. So, it's bring your father to church day, right? Like, when it was bring your kid to work day, it's bring your dad to church day. Okay, so bring your dad along and get a free coffee. So, that's the deal. Um, yep, I know you get a free coffee normally anyway, but just think of it as a special coffee. And uh, then coming up, we are, um, Jen talks a little bit about our heart for generosity and for other people. And then we're doing a four-week series about what it means to live out our faith uh, in passion through mission, through going to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. What does it look like for us to tangibly, practically put our faith in action? And we've got some really exciting messages there. We've got at least one, possibly two guest speakers in that lineup as well. And we're going to be unveiling a few little encounter partnerships along the way that are going to be really exciting. And then after that, we're going to be getting into a series about healthy relationships, which is going to be good. It's going to be fun. It's always a good one. And we'll, Jen and I will do a, a Q&A on marriage and you can ask us all the awkward questions. It'll be great. So gospel, simple gospel. This is the fourth week of our simple gospel series. And this week I'm preaching on gospel future, gospel future. And I like preaching on gospel future because I like the future. I like the destination. I don't like going places. I like being at places, right? Can anyone else relate? They're just impatient. They don't like getting somewhere. They like to be somewhere. That is what I'm like as a person. I'm by nature a bit impatient. Guess how that goes with three small children? You know, up and down, up and down. Uh, so like, I'll give you an example. I'm a big reader, and uh, I, I really do love reading. I go through quite a lot of books. But one of the reasons I go through a lot of books is because I set myself goals on an app I have that help, called Goodreads that helps me like, set little goals to read more faster. And then I put in what page number I'm up to, and it like, boosts along a little bit to show I'm getting further. Like, yes, I'm close. I'm almost at the end. I'm almost at the end. So what I do sometimes is I'll go back and reread a favorite book, and I'll read like entirely new parts. And it's not the cliche like, oh, I'm reading them again with new eyes. No, I've literally never read those parts before because I just kind of speed read through the major plot points. 
and then go back and I'm like, oh, oh, there's all these subplots here. That's quite interesting. I just never read them because I was too excited to get to the destination. One quick story about how I like getting to the destination. Last year, I was over at the Hillsong Conference in Sydney. Great conference, quick plug. We take an encounter team every year because it is life-changing, spirit-filling. If you want to come, let us know. We've got a bunch coming across already. Last year, I was over there with the family, as always, and then afterwards, my favourite soccer team, Arsenal, from the English Premier League, was, um, was playing in Sydney. Very rare. It's the only time I think they've done it in my lifetime. So I couldn't resist. I went, bought some tickets and, and stayed over there in Sydney with a couple of mates and, and we watched the soccer. And Jenny had gone home already and she said, oh, look, look I'll fly home. You drive, drive the car back because I'd rather not do that by myself. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. I, I want to drive back anyway. It'll be great. I like driving. We'll, we'll get there. She's like, great, yeah. So just like, stop overnight at a motel somewhere. I'm like, why would I stop halfway when I could just keep going? I'm a man. And we do things like this. I'm like, it's only Sydney to Adelaide. I'll just pop along in a night. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. It's like, when you get tired, like, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. I did get tired. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. It's like, well, okay. So I did it. And did I make it back? Yes, I did. Did I get back really quickly? Yes, I did. Did I maybe get back a little bit too quickly? Like a little bit faster than the speed limit legally allows? Yes, I did. Did I receive a letter in the mail shortly after arriving home? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Was that amount that I was fined significantly more than the amount it would have cost me to stay overnight at a motel in like hay or something like that? Yes. Yes, it was. Do I now not have a license as a result of said trip? Maybe. Whatever. Look, maybe. Maybe. Impatience costs you in the end. It does. So your destination matters, but your journey to get there matters too. It's kind of ironic that I spent like a decade ministering at a church called The Journey when I love the destination so much. But it's true that your destination matters, but your journey to get there matters too. And so this idea is at the heart of what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the end of days, the end times, Having just read a passage from Revelation, and uh, now that everyone's heard this, I just need to let you know that we've locked the doors and the hospitality team is stationed at the exit so that nobody can escape. So you can pull your tinfoil hat from under your chair and your um, church-issued weapons and and we'll all recite the secret chant together. No, no, no. Obviously, I am joking if you're new here. I can't see your eyes because of the lights, but I'm just imagining these nervous eyes darting around. There are no church-issued weapons, but you should watch out for the hospital team. Uh, This is a joke because my experience has been that we don't talk about the end of days much in church. And part of the reason is it's kind of weird. Like, it's a bit awkward and weird, this idea of talking about the end times. We don't want to end up like poor old Harold Camping. I don't know if anyone remembers him by name. But Harold Camping was a, um, I'll call him a self-proclaimed prophet, because reasons, I'll tell you in a second, in, in the States, who in 2011, well, actually earlier, but again in 2011, reiterated very, very clearly that the end times were coming this year in May on a certain date. And, at that day, and, and he spread it out widely over radio, told everybody, like, this is not a long time ago. There's plenty of internet reports about it. And uh, on that day, his house was locked up. No one was allowed to come in. People knocked on the door, no answer. The next day, sheepishly, 
This old guy opens the door and sadly looks around and we're all still here. Nothing's, he- nothing's changed. We're all still here. Because Jesus reminds us that we don't know the day, we don't know the hour in which he is coming back, but he is coming back. So it's something we need to talk about. Um, so the other thing is that when we've historically talked about the end of days as a church, the church in Australia, this, these are the sorts of things we have done. On the one hand, we've come up here and just sternly stood up and said, fire and brimstone and eternal torment. And if you crashed on the way home tonight, do you know where you'd be waking up? It's like, jeepers, settle down, everybody. So that's one side. It's kind of the eternal torment side. And then on the other side, the way that we sort of talked about it is more saying, oh, you know, I just think like everybody is going where they want. Um, and, you know, it's just because their feelings are really the guide and everyone's going to be in heaven, their heaven for their personal truth because reasons. You know, and, and, that's, and that's kind of a philosophy called universalism. So you've got this eternal punishment on one side and universalism on the other. And then, and then the third sort of major philosophy that I've heard, not so much in church, but around our culture, is just kind of clouds and harps and I know they're looking down on me, which, you know, like we live in a spherical world, so I'm not quite sure how that works, you know, like just in terms of geometry. But, you know, looking down on me is... Also, there are times where I just don't want people looking down on me. Like when I'm in the bathroom, nobody needs to be looking down on me at that time. That's uncomfortable for all concerned. So these are the sorts of things we hear about. And frankly, that third one I just mentioned is so drastically wrong that I'm not even going to waste any more time talking about it, except to say that for this message, I'm going to refrain from saying heaven as much as possible. Because I think the word heaven has these connotations of, oh, look up. And that's not what it's meant to mean, at least not in the New Testament. So we might get a little bit wordy in here today, and, but I want us to have a good understanding of our gospel futures, and I'll, I'll get into why. But these first two that I mentioned, eternal torment and universalism, have just enough truth in them to be dangerous, but not enough truth in them to be helpful. Because the first one pushes people to a place of responding to God out of fear, to a God that consistently throughout the Bible says, fear not. While the second one renders the existence of God meaningless and pushes the judgment from us onto God. So God is the one to be judged by us as per our individual arbitrary metrics. So neither of those work. Neither of those work. We either end up with no love or no truth. It's got to be something different from those two. But there are aspects of truth in each, which is what makes us so dangerous. But we spent all Friday talking about politics, so let's spend all Sunday talking about religion. Let's keep it in the awkward zone. Why gospel futures? Why gospel future? Because if we don't talk about our future, we're just lying as Christians. Literally like half or more than half of, of, of our entire theology is built around this idea that there is life after death, that there is something more. So when we don't talk about it, we're actually doing ourselves a disservice because what we have to do in that case is make up what it means. And when we make up what it means, it could mean anything. We all end up with different interpretations of what heaven means, and that's how you get down to this universalism line. But when, when we talk about it, the key point of Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection from the dead was to make a way for us to spend eternity with God. Okay, So I want that to be really clear. We have eternal life with God through Christ. I want that to be really simple. 
So let, let me just throw up a classic quote on death, okay? So this is one classic quote on death. We just pop it up here. This is what Billy Graham said. One day you'll hear that Billy Graham has died. Don't you believe it? On that day, I'll be more alive than ever before. I've just changed the dress. That's a good quote. We don't hear things like that said very much in our culture. We love to talk about living our best life, but we never talk about dying our best death. I know it sounds morbid, even as I say it. That's why we don't use that phrase, okay? But we need to, stop. We need to start talking about it. It's got to stop being taboo. So why did we stop talking about it? Well, here's my theory. In about the 1950s and 60s, we had this massive societal change kind of driven through the United States and then flowing through the rest of the world, particularly the Western world. And a lot of it was driven by Vietnam. So you've got the, the, the war in Vietnam served as sort of this crucible. So did the civil rights movement in the US. And it was all built around this one idea that we have to get in touch with our humanitarian side, that the, the every person has value, Right? And this is a stance that Christians were offering for thousands of years, say that human beings matter. Your life, my life, we matter. I hope you know that. And this has been driven for Christians mostly by two things. Firstly, the acts and commands of Jesus. Jesus lived out a life where everybody mattered, and he spoke about it in a way to say that everybody mattered. And particularly through his apostles to love and care for the poor, and the least, and the people that are unlike ourselves. And the second thing is this, a theological idea known as the imago Dei, right? imago Dei, which is Latin for the image of God. Imago, image, Dei, which is like deity, God. Image of God. This comes from a Genesis 1.27 mentality of we were created male and female, so we were created with intent and placed on us is the image, the very imprint of God, which is part of what gives us such great meaning as people. So because of this, Christians have historically been the ones at the forefront of caring for the least and the lost, caring for the poor, acting in humility and serving others. This is what the Roman Emperor Julian said in the 4th century when he was persecuting Christians. He was very frustrated and he said that, Nothing has contributed to the progress of the superstition of these Christians as their charity to strangers. They provide not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. He was furious that they would dare to care for his poor. What a guy. Great bloke. So if any of those things are important to you, then your life has been shaped in some way by Jesus and by the story of Israel before him. Okay, very interesting, right? But what does this have to do with the end of days? Well, this is what it has to do with the end of days. We seem to have largely, in the church, have fallen into these two camps where we have one group of Christians that is very, very passionate about sharing the message that Christ died to offer them eternity, eternal life once and for all with God through Christ. And they are passionate about sharing that message of eternal life, and they're right. And then we've got this other group of Christians who were passionate about that, the Zechariah idea, one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament, who said, we need to care for the widow, the alien, the orphan, and the poor. And so they go around living out this, this life of Jesus as he went around offering equality and offering value into people's lives, seeing in them the image of God and loving them and caring for them regardless of the cost and saying that this is how we know we are Christians, by the love we share one for another, and they're right. But they're right too. But the problem is they rarely come together and talk about how they're both right and they can be right together. And this is one of our problems. One type of Christian is all about our eternity and one type of Christian is all about our right now 
and our gospel future is with both. So I think between today's teaching from Revelation and the Lord's Prayer, we get an insight into this. Right, I'm going to keep moving quickly, but we're going back to my place for hot dogs, so you can ask me more questions over hot dogs, okay? So let's just read the Lord's Prayer. Right? The Lord's Prayer is going to be behind me, the, the version from Matthew. There's also a version of the Gospel of Luke. Now, the Lord's Prayer is one of the most famous passages in Scripture, largely because it's quite easy to recite, but also because it's some, a time when Jesus taught directly. Often Jesus teaches through parables or indirectly through riddles and stories. And so when he teaches clearly, when the disciples say, hey, Jesus, tell us how to pray, and Jesus says, this is how we pray, everyone's like, great. <laughs> That's so good. Write that down, Matthew. Write that down, Luke. <laughs> Mark's taking a break. John's over there. This is what it says. You, you can read it behind me. I just want to focus on the second line because we could do a whole series on the Lord's Prayer and how critically important it is for us to understand. But I want to focus on the second line. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. I don't want to say heaven because it's not helpful for us right now. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, we talked about in our first week of this series that the true good news that Jesus came to bring, the gospel, is that there is a king over all creation, Jesus Christ. And Christ is on his throne and he's ruling and reigning and we get to live as part of that kingdom. But the good news, it's not an old-fashioned or patriarchal idea as, as I know could potentially rub people the wrong way. It's not an old-fashioned idea because we all have kings in our lives, right? There is always something ruling our life. You might have a boss that rules your life. You might have a parent that still kind of rules your life. You might have a spouse, children, right? But more seriously, you might uh, buy products from a company that convinces you to continually buy their products, you might have an organization that sells you on their ethos until you drink the Kool-Aid and you find yourself talking more about that organization than they do. You might be watching a TV show that promotes a particular lifestyle or promotes a particular thought pattern that before you even realize it has taken over your life too and made you a disciple of them. We are all following something. There's a king over all our lives. The, just the thing is, in Jesus' kingdom, the characteristics are hope. Compassion, love, grace, mercy, faithfulness, all the good things. You don't have to buy Coke to be happy. So when we add this passage in the Lord's Prayer, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, to the passage from Revelation that we heard. Actually, Keith, can you pop that back up for me? The passage from Revelation, just at the start of it. We, we get a bit of a picture of what our gospel future is meant to look like, Okay. So in Revelation, in 21, chapter 21, you, we see the city of God coming down from heaven to earth. Coming down from heaven, not heaven up above. You know, we know, again, we live in a spherical world and there's space in an indeterminate distance everywhere around us. But we also have a God that is outside of time and space. And so we, we see in this metaphorical picture the, the city of Jerusalem, the city of God coming down to earth. We don't see earth wiped away. We see the city coming to earth. And then in verse 5, this is what we hear. So Jesus talks about this, there will be a new heaven and a new earth, not all heaven and no earth, new heaven and new earth. And in verse 5, Jesus says, I am making everything new. 
everything new. It's not that what we've got here is terrible and needs to be destroyed. It's that we've got here is really good and it's going to get better. So your life, your relationships, this world, everything around us, your body, you might be thinking right now, I'm in pretty good shape. Like, not me, but you might be thinking that. Let me tell you, it's going to get better. That's right. It's always going to get better in Christ. Those abs are going to get even more defined. It's going to be incredible. You can't wait. You can't wait. Everything is going to get more real, more true, deeper, richer, more beautiful. We are not going to be wiped away and left in a cacophony of souls in white robes playing harps. Because harp music? Okay. God bless you if you play the harp. You sound great in an orchestra. It's just, you know, thousands of harps by themselves. No, no. What it means is that everything's being renewed by God. Which means that when we pray, your kingdom come, there is a physical, real, tangible aspect to it that we participate in. We're living in a way that has eternity in mind. And we are pointing to Jesus with every aspect of our lives. This is what our life should be like, right? Who's been to Costco? If you haven't, you need to get someone to take you as an outing because it is just an adventure of wonder. Go on a Saturday because on a Saturday, they have more people giving out free samples and free samples are the greatest. This is why I shop at Hague's. And when you go to Costco, you can go around to all these free samples. Like, bring a basket, honestly, and go around and collect all the free samples. But when you taste them, what's the idea of a free sample? That you go and get the real thing. So this is you and me. We are living out these physical aspects like delicious Costco samples so that somebody will go and get the real thing, which is their own relationship with Jesus Christ. They'll see us and like Pastor Jen said last week, they'll say, I'll have what he's having. I'll have what she's having. I need some of that. And we need more of that passion in our lives as followers of Jesus. Amen. And so this is what we do. Let me tell you, I didn't have this written down. Let me tell you a true story of a Costco sample, right? Charlie, had, my beautiful boy, had done such an amazing job. He'd been working at home and he saved up $10 worth of pocket money and he wanted to buy something and we're at Costco. And because kids, you know, literally it burns a hole in their pocket if they're under 10. It's like, it's gone, it's gone. I just need to buy the first thing I see. So we went to Costco and I'm like, hey, buddy, you should try this. He's like, ah, oh, that looks gross. I was like, no, it's, it's ham off the bone. It's like the ham you have in your sandwich, but like the best, so good. Oh, all right. And he had a bit. He's like, oh, this is delicious. Can I buy some? And uh, we're like, no, no, we're probably not going to buy any, mate. It's pretty expensive, but the sample's nice. And he's like, how much is it? I said, oh, it says here this one kilo pack is $9. And he's like, I want to buy it. I've got $10. It's my money. I want to buy a kilo of ham. <laughs> and we, we had to talk him off the ledge. He was getting really worked up. He's like, I want this kilo of ham because the sample was that good. And this is how we're called to live as followers of Christ. Our gospel future is all about eternity, but it's also about how we live right now. Because how do we know eternity is good? We know it in part because of who we are right now. When your relationships are healthy, when you are healthy, when you're in a good headspace, when you're in a place where you're in a deep relationship with Christ, when you are looking after yourself, when you're caring for creation, that's how people know that there is the Spirit of God in you at work. It's powerful. Your destination matters, but your journey to get there matters too. And our job as followers of Christ is to live out the future kingdom of God right now. Which is why if you read the Gospels frequently, you'll hear Jesus say, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of heaven is near. Of course it is. All it's waiting for is just one little thing, the death 
resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. And that's been done. So the kingdom of God is breaking in right now. Right now. And every one of you are part of it. Just to be really clear, I want to say this one more time. This means that we do not float off to heaven disembodied when we die. I do not know what happens in the moment of death. And I'm not here to get into a conversation about heaven and hell and who gets in and who doesn't right now. That is an important conversation, but it would require its own message. Let's just put that to the side. I'm here to tell you about the resurrection life. It means we have full resurrected bodies working at peak capacity, living in God's fully renewed creation. You at your best, living in God's best version of his creation. The best writing I've ever seen about this is actually in the book, The Last Battle, The Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis. The last book is actually a description. It's his attempt to describe the end times through a story. And it's just, it's unbelievable. You should check it out. If you've read The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, read The Last Battle. I always loved it as a kid because battles and boys, but you know. So your physical bodies matter, your actions matter, your relationship with God matters. When we live out Jesus' mantra of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven by trying to live on earth now as we will be when Jesus comes again, we're living in a way we expect to see in the future. We are that delicious Costco sample of the future heavenly places. So if you followed me this far, first of all, God bless you. You're doing a great job. <laughs> but secondly, you might be asking, sure, but how? How do we actually live in this way? I've got three ways for you to do it that I think will be helpful. You get already that our present lives and future lives have meaning. So how do we live with eternity in mind? Okay, here's number one. If you're the note-taking type, and I would strongly encourage that all of us are the note-taking type, Take notes. Number one, creation matters. Remember that creation matters. If we're not leaving the world as a disembodied soul, which again is not what the New Testament teaches, that means the world matters. This world we're in right now matters. From Genesis to Revelation, there's a consistent theme that we should care about what happens to this earth. That means we should purchase responsibly. That means we should act with environmental ethics. That means we should care and consider what happens to animals. This means we should recycle. And this is why I was so excited last week when my friends Sean and Sarah, and Sarah are sick this week, so I can't embarrass them publicly, but they came last week to get a coffee and they brought their own coffee mugs. I thought, how good. I'd love us to get to the point where we're bringing our own coffee mugs because we care so deeply about creation. If God's ultimate plan is the renewal of creation, then creation matters. We can't just strip mine the world away and pretend that that doesn't make a difference. It does. If our job is to care for creation, then our actions toward creation matters. Do you know what that means? It means that every moment in your life is filled with purpose. Every single moment matters. You have never lived a meaningless moment. It's always meaningful. God has got work for you to do in every moment of every day. Everything you can do points back to the glory of God. One little sidebar, though. I don't want you to feel overwhelmed by this idea. This idea that every moment matters is not designed to stress you out in the brief seconds where you don't make the most of those moments. It's not designed to turn you into somebody who's, you know, desperately like finding every essential oil and, you know, making homemade nappies and, and you know, 
Instagram your F45 gym workouts. You don't need to be that person. I'm, I'm, uh, you, you don't need to overthink it. What I think this actually gives you permission to do is to slow down. Because when you can be intentional about every moment, that's when you can appreciate every moment. Quick example, yesterday, the family went to the beach. I'm often, I've often got my message in my head on Saturday, and so I'm a bit all over the place. I don't necessarily love to get out and about because I'm not great company on a Saturday. But uh, we went to the beach, and I, I said, oh, Jen, I kind of said it quite ostentatiously because I knew this would mean something to her. I said, I'm just going to leave my phone in the car while we're at the beach just so I can be present. So it was one of those, if you're a husband in the room, you know the feeling. He's like, I'm, I'm just doing this thing. I guess it's for you, actually, but like, no big deal. But it is a big deal. Like, it was one of those kind of things. And I did it. And so all of like 90 minutes without a phone, you know, what a trooper. But I'm kind of addicted to my phone. I am. I'm on it all the time. I'm addicted to it. And putting that aside for 90 minutes was so good for my soul. It was. I've got to do it again. Like Whether I want to or not, it is so nourishing. And I took notice of my kids more and I took notice of my wife more. And I brought a book, but there's something very different about having a paperback on the beach and just putting it down and picking it up and playing cricket with your kids. And there is about sort of like flicking through your phone. Even if you're reading a book on your phone, there is something different about it. Anyway, be intentional about your moments. Your life now has more meaning, not less, more meaning, because of your eternal life with Jesus. More meaning. So what can you do tomorrow that shows creation's importance to you today? That's number one, creation matter. Number two, people matter. People matter. If every human being is made in the image of God, then that means people matter. Now, this is a core value of Encounter Church. We talk about it all the time. We're so passionate about it. Because when we look at each other, we should be working to see the image of God reflected in each other. That means the people who frustrate you are equally as God made as you. That means the people who make you uncomfortable are equally as God made as you. That means that people who don't yet have a relationship with Jesus are equally as made in God's image as you are. Be careful how you treat those people. Please. Every human being is filled with the creative potential of God the Creator. Our difference as Christians is one simple thing. We know it. That's all. But instead of arrogance, we follow the way of Jesus, which is a way of humility and servanthood and loving other people. If we are arrogant because we know we're going to our eternal life, then we haven't really got Jesus' message at all. We're still working with it. Because we're filled with the Holy Spirit, that enables us to see extraordinary things happen, not because we're good, but because of God's goodness. We can see miracles now that will be normal in the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of God breaking through now by the power of the Holy Spirit, which is why if you've ever been in church and you've sensed something happening physically in you, either a healing or just the tangible presence of God, that's because the kingdom of God is near, so near. People matter. So the way you treat people reflect what you think about God. I, I will say this because I think it's important. One of Jesus' most loved characteristics by everybody, whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, was the way he treated people. Pretty, that's pretty universal, right? People would say, I like the way that Jesus treated people because he's treated them with equality. Everybody had the same level of worth in the eyes of Jesus, and, and the way he acted showed it. Which means that no matter who you are, God loves you, and we accept you, and you are welcome in this place. And Encounter Church is for you. I just really want to say that. 
You can find your future here at Encounter Church. I believe that. This place is for you regardless of your past because Jesus is not about dwelling on your past. He's about helping you find your future in him. In Jesus Christ, I love this, your future life and eternal life, they're always going to get better. The best is always yet to come with Jesus. So how can you live out your relationships tomorrow that shows people their importance today? Here's the final one. Creation matters. People matter. God matters. God matters. If Jesus' most loved characteristic was the way he treated people, you've got to know that the purpose of his life was not the way he treated people. It was the way he related to God the Father. Every part of Jesus' life was centered on this relationship with his heavenly Father. And that was the real heart of it. So when he calls us to follow him, he is primarily asking us to build a closer relationship with God here on earth. That's what we're meant to be sowing into. That's how we're meant to be building. If our every action matters in the new creation, if every person bearing the image of God matters, then the one who directs our actions and placed his image on us matters even more so. Otherwise, it's kind of like saying fruit, fruits and vegetables are great, but the people who grow them are irrelevant. Do you know what I mean? Like We, we can't ignore that. The Bible puts it this way. Is the clay meant to tell the potter what to do? Like, is the clay meant to say, I'm meant to be a cup, not a bowl, shape me differently? Like, no, you're a cup because the potter has made you a cup. What's the movie with singing cups? Beauty and the Beast? Ridiculous. Get out of here. Go on. Singing cups. Don't you tell the potter what to do. Ridiculous. No, it's fine. It's Disney. Disney can do no wrong. Yeah. Your life is designed to be in closer and closer relationship with God. Let me start wrapping up. Ben, you guys can come back up. Your purpose is found in serving God and your meaning is found in knowing God. If we're living with eternity in mind, then our relationship with God isn't something to put off, but something to sow into today, right now. What can you do tomorrow that shows the importance of your relationship with God today? Here is where I want to bring all of this together while all of you are sitting there and going, isn't this series meant to be called Simple Gospel? I know. I apologize. We've got to get there. The simple part is we're saved forever. We'll get there. Here's where it all comes together. To start this series, we heard from Genesis, the ancient story of the creation of man and woman and the story of Israel, how God set apart a people for himself and how Jesus totally fulfilled that story living out the life that the Israelites were meant to and dying as a substitute on the cross for all of us before defeating death and the powers of darkness by being resurrected from the dead. And because of that, we live now as ambassadors of the kingdom of God, living lives of purpose on purpose as a sample, a taste of the full kingdom that is still to come. The joy in this is that we are invited to partner with God. And the relief is that we don't have to get it right because Jesus is coming back again. And as we wait for the resurrection of our own bodies and the renewal of all creation, because we will live forever in the presence of God, we can live free of worry and anxiety today because our tomorrows are secure. This is what Pastor Dan reminded us two weeks ago. And so we are inspired to share the gospel message with others because it is a message that sees people saved forever and loved today. It's both and. These two groups, they don't have to disagree. 
It's both and your gospel future is now and forever. We can be both a present focus and future focused church because that is who God is calling us to be. Our gospel futures are found in Jesus, both right now and eternally, and both of them are critically important. We live today with tomorrow in mind. I like to say it this way. We need to live as people with our feet planted firmly on the earth, but with our eyes gazing heavenward. We're looking towards God at all times, but our feet are planted firmly on earth. We're not floating away. We're here, and we're here for good. And I mean that like good. We're here to do good. So I've already said this a couple of times. You can find your future at Encounter. Um, and, and I say that because everybody who is looking for their future, and I hope and pray all of you are looking towards your future in one way or another, because if you're not dead, you're not done, not with God. Everybody looking to find their future is dealing with their past. And I know we all turn up here with baggage of some kind. In fact, the disciples were just about the most baggage-laden group of people Jesus possibly could have chosen. But they went on to change the world, and we're here as a result. Everybody here comes with a past. You come with baggage. You come with bad decisions you have made. That's life. But sometimes, and I don't know if you're in this category, people come to church but they've waited a long time to come to church because they're either afraid or angry about the imagined judgment that they might get walking through the door. I don't know what your encounter experience has been so far, but what I can promise you is that in this place, we will never judge you for your past. We will never judge you for your present. And we will walk with you as you find your future in Christ. I can promise you that. Because God is not judging your past, He's forgiving it. God is not judging your present, He's walking with you in it. And God is pointing towards your future with joy saying, come to me, come to me. Don't just run to me leaving the world behind. Run to me knowing that you're making the world a better place just by being there, by living out your everyday. You are the light of the world now. You are so loved and welcome here at Encounter. I hope that's important for some of you to hear today. The radical message of the kingdom of God is that no matter what your past is, even if that past was five minutes ago where you were judging me from afar and now you're feeling bad about it, that's okay. You can have eternal life with Christ Jesus forever. And you get to have a meaningful, spirit-filled life here on earth right now. It's the ultimate two-for-one just to finish, as I was praying um, this afternoon, I, I, I just sense God just prompted me with one of the most famous passages in the Bible, John 3.16, just to share with you in the hope that, that maybe God is speaking to you in this. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him shouldn't perish, but would have eternal life. Now, if you've sat in church before, you've almost certainly heard that verse. But weirdly, sometimes we forget the next verse. This is what John 3, 17 says. For God didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. In order that the world might be saved through Him. 
Your present and your future matter. Your past matters too, but it doesn't define you, not in Christ. We all come with our wrestles and failures. Here's what Paul said about it in 2 Corinthians. He said, yeah, yep, sure, we come with our baggage, we come with our failures, but if anyone is in Christ, they're actually a whole new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new, the new has come. It's a kingdom of God statement. It's a heavenly statement. It's an eternal statement to say that your future is breaking into your life right now. Your past doesn't define you. Your present doesn't define you. God's future defines you, friends. All we have to do is say, I'll have that. (laughs) I'll have that. That is you. You are all the wonderful fruits of God's new creation. Heaven is breaking into earth. And the first places we see it are through humble, spirit-filled followers of Jesus. Let me pray. God, I, I, I know that was a lot. <laughs> so God, would you work in us this evening? Lord, would you help us to stop and breathe deep? God, we come with such different backgrounds, different family histories, even even different spirits, different ways we've responded to in the past. But you are wanting to do a new work in us today. And so today I want to provide that opportunity for anybody who has never said before, yes, I know my eternal life is found in Christ and I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Saviour for the first time in my life. Today is your day. Lord, I just pray for anybody who is praying that prayer in their heart tonight or hearing it on the podcast and praying it, Lord, that for them, they would be receiving Jesus as Lord in their heart right now, that your spirit would be working in them. I just sense that there's somebody listening on the podcast. You're going to be hearing this a couple of days later, but God is calling you home, calling you back to him. You are forgiven. You are set free. You are saved in Jesus.